Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to be finishing the last chapter of the book of Judges this evening. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would guide and direct us, that we'd be more like you every day. We pray it almost every um, introduction, Lord, and we mean it. We pray that you would give us eyes and ears to see and to hear what you would have for us in your scripture this evening, and that you would mold us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this has been a three-part series. Chapter 19, uh, we saw the buildup. Last week, we saw the battle. We saw the Benjamites. They are almost obliterated in this battle. There was hardly any prisoners taken. The nation of Israel chased them down and destroyed the armies of the Benjamites. We know that they were very strong. We know that they were elite warriors. We know that they were willing to take on all of Israel to protect their own tribe, but they have lost. And now, chapter 21 is the aftermath of these battles. What are they going to do? One of the tribes of Israel has been almost obliterated, almost wiped out. Well, let's start with verses 1 through 3. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? Well, sometimes... We do things in our lives, and we do them incredibly well, and we are so good at it, and we get everything that we wanted, and then when you get to that moment, you ask yourself, why did I decide to do this? Why am I here? How did I get here? What is going on? And we find out that we made promises or oaths to people, and we see that we are ashamed of those promises or those oaths, or we just didn't get what we thought. Now, this is much more extreme. The nation of Israel had gotten together, had had this righteous indignation for what had been done, uh, for this immorality. They had come and they had come to fight and to battle. And sometime during that time of planning and fighting, they got together and said, you know what? When we're done, if there's any survivors of the Benjamites, they can't have any of our daughters. They can't touch us. They're not going to mingle with us. Well, now it's starting to come to fruition. Those things have happened. They're down to 400 men in the entire tribe of the Benjamites. And they come to the house of God. That's the tabernacle. They don't have the temple. And so they go to the tabernacle, and what does it say? And remaining there before God till evening. So they are sorrowful. They have anguish, and they're before God. And this is what they say. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel, that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? You get what they're saying here? God, why did you make this happen? God, why did you do this? Wait a minute, guys. Nation of Israel, you did it. You got together. You had your armies. Do you not remember chasing them across the hills and crossing the rivers and going to multiple towns? Did God tell you to make this oath that you're not going to give your daughters? No. Did God tell you that you were going to go chase them down one by one and take no prisoners? No. In fact, the only time I remember them seeking the Lord in the last chapter was three times they went after the Lord. 
Do we go up to fight? Yes. And they lost. Second time. Do we go up to fight? Yes. And they lost. Lord, we're really serious now. Do you want us to go up to fight? Yes, and I will deliver them into your hand. Remember, that was the third time. And they did. But there was no other instruction given. Everything else we know is from them and their heart's desire. They did it. So what are we seeing here? What is the recipe? We do the exact same thing. You know, maybe we were obedient to the scripture in one area, we were doing good or we were seeking the Lord, but in other areas we go our own way, we do our own thing, we do it the way we want to, and then something happens with that or we get exactly what we want and then who are we blaming? God, why did you let this come to pass? God, why did you make me this way? God, why did you put me in this situation? God, why did this terrible thing happen? Well, most of the time in my life, I'll speak for myself, it's because I'm stupid and I made a bad choice. And God's like, if that's what you want to do. And then it's easy for us to go to him and say, oh, Lord, why did you make me broke? I don't know. Maybe it's because you were buying a packet of cigarettes every day and 37 lottery tickets. You know, oh, Lord, why did you do this to my health? Why is my health so bad? I don't know. Maybe it was that cocaine habit you had in your early 20s. Maybe it's the 37 Red Bulls that you take. Maybe it's the fast food diet that you're on. Oh, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to come to pass? Well, I make light of those areas, but in, for some of us, that's very serious. Oh, Lord, why did you do this, that, and the other thing? Well, did he do it? God is in control of all things at all times. Nothing exists without his permission. Nothing moves without him being involved. But we have to trust him with the thing he has told us he has given us. And that is free will. He has given us the ability to make our own choices and to follow our own desires. In the nation of Israel, <coughs> their desire was vengeance. And they got it. All the way to the extreme. And now they're asking God, why did you do this? So of course, of course, being the book of Judges, they are going to fast and pray and wait on the Lord for an answer, right? Of course, they are going to be searching the scriptures. They're going to humble themselves and be patient. They're going to wait for the Lord to reveal the direction they should go. In fact, they're going to see what's best for everyone else except for themselves, right? Obviously, I'm being very sarcastic. If you have been here for any amount of time in any of the 21 chapters of the book of Judges, you know. They're going to do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And so we're going to read two big chunks of scripture. The first one is going to be verse 4 through 15. I wrote 14, but that's a lie. It's 4 through four 15. So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Sounds good. The children of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? All right, let, let's see where you're going here. For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, he shall surely be put to death. I don't like where this is going. Verse 6. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who remain seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. Oh boy. 
verse 8. And they said, What one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come up to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when they for when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. Yes, you are reading this right. Verse 11. And this is the thing you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimon, and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time, and they gave them the women which they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, and yet they had not found enough for them. You can't make this up. Now, if the Bible is make-believe, if the Bible is just a collection of stories of people who got together to puff up their God, why would you put this chapter in? Like, why would you put the book of Judges in there? Why would you write this history and record it? In fact, if you're the nation of Israel and you're trying to show the world that you're God's chosen people and you're making this up, why would you write this? Why would you put this in here? I'm going to tell you what. You come to my house and get some of my old photo albums out. I don't have the worst pictures of my family in there. I don't have the things that I'm embarrassed of. We have trophies and holidays and weddings and all of our high moments. But no, faithful and true, the nation of Israel has recorded the idiocracy that we are seeing here. So just to recap. They're at Shiloh. They're at the tabernacle. They're weeping before the Lord. Lord, why did you do this? This is terrible. Our poor brother Benjamin, I don't know. Can't you still hear the screaming of them as you are murdering them with your swords? Then they get out. They make an altar, and they're making sacrifices before the Lord, having fellowship with the Lord. The next day, that's how long they waited. And they have a brilliant idea that they make up all on their own hey, you know, we're into keeping our oaths. Our promises and our word, our word is more important than our lives. So we're not going to break it. So what other promise did we make? We made a promise that none of our daughters can ever be given to the Benjamites. All right, we've got to keep that. We also made a promise that anyone in Israel that didn't send us soldiers to do this, we we're going to kill them all. Let's keep our promise. Who wasn't here? Ah, Jabesh Gilead wasn't here. So they send 12,000 of their soldiers to Jabesh Gilead, and you read it right. The rules were to kill every male and then to kill every woman that had known a man. So only the young ladies, only the virgin ladies live. So their answer for life that was caused by death is more death. And so that's what they do. And they go there and they destroy Jabesh Gilead and they take all their women and they come back. And then they decide to tell Benjamin, hey, um, we're not going to fight you guys anymore. We're at peace now. By the way, I got all these young ladies for you. You guys need to marry them off. We need more Benjamites. Get to work. You guys know the science behind that, right? 
But literally, that's what they do. This is very practical answers. I mean, they're getting the jobs done. They have a, they have a problem. They've got a solution. But it's wrong. Everything about what they're doing is wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I have an idea. How about you break your word and you marry some of your daughters off? No. In that culture, this is absolute horror. Your oath is so important that you're willing to murder innocent children. Your oath, your word is so important that you're willing to go and annihilate an entire city and then separate those children that just went through that dramatic, traumatic event, and now you're going to go hand them off to other families and start other families? Why would the God of the Bible allow this? Well, guys, I know we've been a little sheltered here in the United States of America, but this is how history is, from the Aztecs to the Mayans to the Native Americans to India to Africa to Asia to medieval Europe. This is the way humanity is without God. Without the Holy Spirit and without God and his standards, this is how we act. Whoever is the most powerful takes whatever they want. Now, we know that still happens today, but we can see it even with God's people. And so the question to us on the micro, on the much smaller event, is this. When we come into an issue, a problem that we want to solve, are we waiting on the Lord? Are we praying? Are we reading scripture? Are we interceding? Are we waiting for the right answer? Or are we going before God praying, hey, Lord, I hope you solve this problem. You know what? I got this. I know what to do. Bless me on my way. That's what just happened here. They're not actually seeking after God's answers. And I ask you this. What is the number one historical criticism we get against Christianity? I'll fill in the blanks. The Crusades. Because when you ask, when you talk about, oh, yeah, you know, the Christianity, oh, what about the Crusades? What about the Crusades? The Crusades was man, greed, and man's zealous, and man's religion, and man's political fervor for power in the name of God. God didn't say to do any of those things. In fact, to do the Crusades, you have to go against everything that Jesus taught. You have to literally go against every word that Jesus says to do the crusades, but they did it in ignorance. Number one, I'm going to make up a number, but 90% of them are illiterate. They can't read the Bible for themselves. They don't know. They know whatever the priest tells them. Number two, it's politically expedient. And number three, that's in man's nature. You don't like it, kill it. Take it over. And so the crusades are another example of why we need the grace of the Lord, and it's a perfect example of what's happening here in Judges chapter 21. Remember, it's very important as a Christian in a defense of the Bible, the difference between proscription, God telling us to do something, and description, the history and the example of man without God doing things despite what he says to do. I ask you, what things are you doing in your life from proscription or what things are simply being recorded, choices that you're making, actions you're taking, things that you're doing? Because many times, we're like the rest of the nation of Israel. We're just sitting in front of God crying, why did you let this happen? Well, I got news for you. Oftentimes, I think the Lord is asking the same thing of you. Why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? You, 
whatever the situation is. Why did you make those choices? I told you not to. Why did you decide to do those things? And other times, he's gracious and loving and forgiving, compassionate. And I want to have a disclaimer here before we go to the next session, because don't worry, these people are not done making bad choices. My disclaimer is this. There are things that happen in our lives that are unexplainable, and there are things that happen in our lives that are just seemingly happenstance that no one deserves. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, in Santa Barbara, and actually in Goleta, and I don't remember exactly the town, but on the West Coast in California, I remember growing up, and we had these mudslides from um, the El Nino storms, and they have these giant hills, and they have this town, and the town's right up against the hills, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and so some families, they live up there, one family in particular, it's a rainy day, dad wants to cheer up the family, he says, I'm going to run to the town to get some ice cream. He runs the town to get ice cream, and when he comes back, the entire town is leveled in mud. Ten feet of mud came off that hillside, and it killed his wife and his children, and he had come back. I remember as a young person watching the news as he was just weeping with the fire department trying to find his family, and they were gone. That is a time you can sit before the Lord and just ask him why, because that's just not explainable. Now, Somebody that is completely heartless will be like, well, you built your house on the side of a mud plain. You know, you built your house on the West Coast in California. That's like us complaining if a hurricane hits us. But again, that's not an individual decision that we can train, that we can uh, go back to and say this was cause and effect of my actions. And so I want those disclaimers because one of us may be going through that or it may happen to you in the near future. We live in a sin-cursed world. And I want to remind you what Jesus taught in the New Testament when a tower fell down and many people died and they asked whose sin was it that they caused this and his example was that and he said whose sin was it? Nobody's sin. It happens. Remember, we live in a sin-cursed and broken world. Bad things happen. Now, with my, that disclaimer aside, the overwhelming majority of issues that we have in our lives are because of our own poor choices overwhelming amount. Your day-to-day -day problems are because of your poor choices, and mine too, and mine too. We don't want to be like the nation of Israel or the Benjamites because the Benjamites wouldn't have been in this situation either. Remember last chapter? We said, why didn't they just say, hey, can we talk about this? What did they say? No, 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 you can't, you can't handle one town of us. We're going to fight to the death. Well, they got what they asked for. So, I know through all of my uh, points here, you only remember one. How could this possibly get any worse? I'm glad you asked. Let's find out. Verses 16 through 24. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? Yes, you've heard that right. And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters. For the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Be cursed the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, 
which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh came out to perform their dances, then they came out from the vineyards, and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh. Then go to the land of Benjamin. Then it shall be when their fathers of their brothers come to us to complain that we will say to them, Be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you have given the women to them at this time, making ourselves guilty of your oath. Verse 23. And the children of Benjamin did so, and they took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time. Every man to his tribe and family, they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Did you catch what's going on here? This is a shame, and it is a sham. The whole thing is a complete game. They get together, and they say, well, we made an oath. You know, we can't give them our wives, but they, c- or they can't take our ladies as wives, our daughters, but they can take them. I mean, we're not giving them to them. You know, there's a dance outside of Shiloh where the ladies go out by themselves, tell the Benjamites to hide in the weeds, and when they see one, take one. And then they'll come to us, the family will complain, ah, you know what, they took my daughter, we need to go do something about this, and we'll just say, well, you know, the Benjamites, we, we can't give them any wives, they need some wives, you know, now they got wives, what's the problem? Now, there's a debate with the scholars if this is planned, like if they tell the daughters that need to go out there that are going to be married off. Remember, women, they don't pick who they get to marry. No one's getting married for love in this time period. No one. It's all arranged. And so they may have been making these wink-wink arrangements in advance or not. I don't leave it past them. They just murdered an entire town of people and took their young daughters. You think that this is they're going to be gracious about this? I don't know. I don't think so. And so the ladies in the room are thinking like, what in the world? There's no rights. There's no privileges. There's no choices. Yeah. Yeah. In this time period and in most of human history, if you don't have a strong family full of males to fight for you, you are a material and you're taking. Women's rights come from Jesus Christ. He is the one that brings women's rights in. He's the one that changes all of Western civilization and changes us in a completely different direction. And even the atheist and the agnostic and the women's rights leaders are based on a morality that Jesus has given us because he is the light of the world. He's the one that spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when everyone else was saying, how could you speak to a Gentile Samaritan woman? How could you do this? Because he's the Lord. And he sees equal value. He's the one that forgave the adulterous woman who was caught in the act. She's guilty. And by God's word, he should be, she should be stoned to death. And he says, I forgive you. Go your way and sin no more. And so the same way 
that I talked earlier about being able to defend the Bible against, say, the Crusades or the difference between proscription and description. We can defend God's word through morality and the effect of civilization. And the very morality in which people are criticizing God is a morality that he gave us. What is right and what is wrong. And if you're a history nerd like I am, you can go through history and you can trace that line. And you can see what man does apart from the gospel. What man does apart from a relationship with God. Now they're playing these games going back. They're getting these, these ladies and they... Again, they came up with a solution. They didn't break their word. The Benjamites tribe is getting fixed up. What, what's, what's the matter with this, Mike? This seems great. They just murdered a town. They stole these women, and now they're having women robbed and taken in public to solve their problems all because they want to keep their word? What is the priority here? Now, I see the same thing within the church. What is our priority? Everybody's so busy trying to build their buildings bigger and have their children's ministry bigger, but are they praying? The prayer ministry is the smallest ministry that we have. Why? Because our priorities are out of whack. And then there's people here like nodding, oh yeah, they're so right, they're so right. Oh, that's just your own, that's just your own hypocrisy. I see people that are overly bent on end times or, uh, events in eschatology. That's all they want to talk about. And they want to talk to me about how, oh, this event in Israel, this is Ezekiel 38. Okay, I'm pretty sure that Jesus' priority, although that may be true, is that you love your neighbor as yourself, that you keep your word, and that you love your enemies and turn the other cheek. Pretty sure that's the priority, that we're here to worship him. Oh, well, you know. Mike, you know, he's, he's late sometimes or he's too early or the organization of the church or what are the finances of the church? Those things are important. But that's not the priority that we should be sinning less in our lives and have a personal holiness. And so the same thing is happening here in the nation of Israel. Oh, yeah, they're fixing problems. Oh, yeah, they got solutions. But is it what God wants? Is it what his word says? Are we making the priorities right? They're sitting in the mirrors like, man, we're so great, the nation of Israel. We took care of the Benjamites. We showed them. And then we kept our word. We'll never break our word. And now we're rebuilding the Benjamites. Man, we're so good. But what does verse 25 tell us? In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And quite frankly, so are we. We're doing whatever we think is right in our own eyes. And, and I'm talking about in the church. Well, they need to be like this, and they need to listen to me when I say this, and my idea is better. I worship better. I serve better. I love God better. Everyone just doing what's right in their own, and just ask God, what does the Lord want? And what does he want from you? He wants a broken and contrite heart. These he will never turn away. He says, I want obedience and not sacrifice. That's what he seeks. And for 21 chapters, we have seen a 400-year period in the nation of Israel. 400 years in 21 chapters. And we've seen these great judges being raised up by God, but not enough to fill 400 years. 
And we've seen this cycle of failure and repentance and failure and repentance, but it got worse and worse and worse, not better and better. Well, we're seeing that today, now. And we talk about the church and we say, oh, well, 300 people got saved or 20 people got saved. What does that matter? What these declarations from our mouths are because people say that they obey God or they love God or they're seeking after God every single day. It doesn't mean that they actually are. It doesn't mean that they have lives that are dedicated and it definitely doesn't mean that they are living sacrifices to God which is our reasonable service. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12. So the question then is, what do you want to do about it? Are you going to go home and go before the Lord and just cry and say, Lord, why did you do this? Why did you make this country this way? Why did you make the church this way? Why did you make my family this way? Why did you make these problems this way? Or are you going to diligently seek after him? The scripture says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you going to wait for his answers or make up your own? Are you going to ask God to bless your plans? Or are you going to wait on his plans? Because I've said it before because I've sold it, stole it from much smarter guys than I am. It is far more productive to wait on the Lord than to move on your own. It is far more productive to wait on the Lord than to move on your own. Well, we've closed out the book of Judges. Next week we start a semi-love story. Let's not get too crazy when we start seeing how that works in the book of Ruth next week. This evening we're going to close in prayer. We're going to spend a time in prayer. And we're going to diligently seek after him and wait on him. Oh, you don't like to pray on lo- out loud. Okay, fine. Don't pray then. Some of us need to make steps of faith to reach out, to try something new, to see what he has for us. And we want to be praying and interceding for one another while we do. Pray one at a time, loud enough that we can all hear. And if you're the same person that prays every single week, maybe you should sit out this week. We'll wait on our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy for who you are. And we pray that you would move on our hearts, that we would have a fresh moving of your spirit in us to diligently seek you. In Jesus' name.